fellow patriots and lovers of liberty, this is Jim Cooper. I'll be your host today on the Homes Podcast. Hope everyone's having a great week. It's been a great week for me as well, or decent week, I guess. It's not been great, but nothing really bad has happened, so that's that's always good. Uh, anyway, we have a, a lot to talk about today. Actually, there's a lot of news going on, a lot of big news. Before we get to all that, I have a couple of um, smaller things, uh, more local things to talk about. Um, we have a couple of things coming out of Lansing. Um, a couple of days ago, Whitmer held a press conference, Governor Whitmer held a press conference in Detroit, and she's proposing using federal pandemic rescue funds to focus on crime. Now, she cited double-digit percentage boosts in violent crimes in Detroit, Lansing, Sterling Heights, Grand Rapids, and she also noted that the Flint mayor declared an emergency over gun violence. Um, the only thing about this, I mean, obviously we all want crime to go down, it's a very generic phrase using pandes- pandemic rescue funds to focus on crime. I don't know what that means. Does she mean more police officers? Uh, does she mean, um, you know, uh, I, I, well, actually, I don't even know what, what that, that, I mean, new cruisers, new weapons for police. I, I don't know because I, I'm not really sure what you're going to do to focus on crime. I assume crime prevention. I mean, you know, I don't mean to be facetious, but I assume that she's not meaning in order to create more crime. So I I don't know how, or I don't know what you're going to spend money on unless it's more police. The only thing I could think of, which I don't think was a good idea is more mental health, you know, for people who commit crime or, you know, I I don't know, um, drug treatment. I mean, I mean, those aren't bad things, but it doesn't seem that's, but that's more after the fact that doesn't prevent crime. That's just, I mean, I guess it might in the long term, but it's not really a crime prevention. It's more of a, how do we deal with the the criminals, you know, if they have a drug problem, if that's the root of their problem, or if they've got mental health issues or something. I mean, I suppose that could be what she's referring to, but I don't know. I mean, it's just a very vague, and I wish that she would explain more about what she wants to do and how this will help this surgeon in crime. And I, my, my personal feeling on this is there, that the, I, I do believe there is a, a boost in violent crime in these cities. And I think one of the problems can be rooted back to her. And that is that there is a lack of jobs right now. So people have, number one, there's a lack of jobs. So there's less money coming in. And so crime is going to go up because People are going to steal. People are going to rob and mug more. Um, carjack. Uh, 
you know, because they can sell those cars and, um, you know, to these, uh, oh, no, I can't remember what they're called, but, you know, where they strip the cars down and redo them. Uh, if a person has a drug addiction, they're going to steal and rob to pay for their drug addiction or rob people with drugs like pharmacies and things. That That's one problem. And another problem is that they have more time on their hands. I mean, there's that old saying that idle hands are the devil's workshop. If a person's working, uh, you know, an eight hour shift and they come home and they're tired, they don't come home and feel like, let's go down and rob. You know, let's go down and, you know, do a robbery at a, a, a convenience store. They're tired. You know, I'm home. I want to eat something. I want to maybe catch something quick on the TV. And I'm going to go to bed because I have to be up in the morning to work. So when she started this pandemic shutdown, you know, these jobs haven't been quick to come back. And for whatever reason, I mean, everyone has their opinions as to why, you know, um, why everyone's short staffed. And yet there's all these people who aren't working. And yet there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of different theories and reasons, but they have a lot more time on their hands and, you know, and you just get into mischief. I mean, not everybody who's got time on their hands is going to go violent assault or, or rob somebody, but you have more time to do it though. You know, if that's your thing, you certainly have more time to sit around and do drugs and drink. And again, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to be careful with this. Cause I don't want to make it sound like everybody who's unemployed is just a drug addict or a, or an alcoholic. But I mean, but when you have a lot of extra time on your hands, you're, you know, these are the kind of things that do happen. And so therefore to feed those addictions and, you know, so it just becomes a vicious cycle. You have time on your hands. You don't have any money because you're not working. You need to get money in order, you know, because otherwise, what are you going to do when you have all this time on your hands? You're not going to sit. I mean, a majority of people, if they've got, you know, eight hours to kill today, they're not going to sit down and read a book. <laughs> you know, most, the average person doesn't do that. They're not going to get on their computer if they, if they have internet access and decide to research the gross domestic, domestic product of Brazil you know, and let me, let me research these things. Let me study out the life of, you know, Aristotle or something. You know, most people, when they have time to kill, they want to get together with friends. They want to kill the boredom. You know, they're going to do porn. They're going to look at porn. They're going to drink. They're going to do drugs. They're going to want to party. They're going to want to cruise around town. I mean, you know, most of them aren't just going to sit there passively and just read a book or study up on you know, something they've never, you know, I've never thought about that before. Let me, let me study up on the solar system and see what, you know, let me see exactly how far Mercury is from the sun. And, you know, what is Jupiter made of? Like, is there any solid ground on Jupiter? You know, they're not going to do that. A majority of people aren't going to do that. It'd be great. We'd have a whole generation of scholars, but they're not going to. It's just human nature. You know, we get bored easily. We want to go do something. And if you don't have any money, you know, you're going to have to get money somehow. You're going to steal it from your parents or you're going to, you know, rob a store. You're going to, 
you know, I, I mean, just any number of things. And I just, you know, I, I, again, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush here and make it sound like everybody is just, are just criminals waiting to happen. But I think that's the major problem. I think if we had people getting jobs and, and things, then it wouldn't get rid of crime. It wouldn't get rid of drug use, alcoholism, any of these things altogether. I mean, certainly that's always going to be around and there's always going to be a certain form of poverty. It might not be abject poverty, but there will be a certain level of, of poverty or poor people in our country, regardless of the amount of checks that you send out or, you know, um, or jobs that are available. There will always be a certain underbelly of of homeless of poor people of drug addicts um you know so you're never going to get rid of crime completely and then of course there's crimes of passion there's crime you know mental illness there's all kinds of reasons why people commit crimes not just for money or drugs or things uh but i think that would go a long way ag uh, against getting rid of the uh, uh crime so i think that would be the best thing because but i don't know what she has planned here i mean a few months ago she also talked about using this pandemic funds to redo our national our state parks so i'm not sure if she wants if she's going to split both of them in half or is she just just saying this stuff which is kind of what i'm thinking that this money isn't going to be used for any of that. It just sounds good. Um, another thing that Whitmer is looking into, and this is just in the last few hours, um, she said she will sign legislation that would give DUI offenders with one conviction a chance to apply for expungement. And it has passed the House overwhelmingly. But for reasons unknown, she pocket vetoed a similar bill in January. So I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why she suddenly now uh, decided to pass this. Um, the DUI is obviously, for those who don't know, is driving under the influence. So if they have one conviction, I assume that means one in their life. It doesn't mean I get a conviction. Today, I have it expunged, and then I get one four months from now, and now I've only got one conviction on my record, so I can have that one expunged. I assume it means it's a one-time only. You get it expunged if you have one, but then probably if you get another one, then there's no do-overs. You know, that's what I think is that if you mess up once, you can have your record expunged. Um, I haven't really looked into it enough to see what the bill says or anything. I mean, offhand, I, I would say it's not a bad thing. You know, I believe in repentance. I believe in forgiveness. I mean, if you're a repeat offender, that's totally different, but if you mess up once and, you know, not that I support driving under the influence, but if you realized it was a mistake, 
you've committed to never doing it again, I don't see why it should be held against you. But, you know, and, and, and if, if it happens again, though, you obviously didn't learn your lesson, so there's no reason to, you know, to keep it expunged at that point. So I, I'm offhand. I don't have a problem with that, but I'd have to actually see what the bill entails because maybe it would be uh, bad. I don't know. Uh, another thing that I – this isn't about uh, state politics. I just – this thing just won't end with the coronavirus. It just feels like this is a nightmare that keeps going. Um, it, it feels like we're heading toward another March 2020 with a shutdown. I don't feel like it necessarily in our state yet, but I'm just – it just seems as if, at least according to the media, it is completely overwhelming in the south and will eventually work its way north. Uh Arkansas just a couple of weeks ago reported that in the entire state it had eight, eight uh, beds open because the entire state, all the hospitals in the state were being overwhelmed with COVID patients. Uh, now in Alabama, they're reporting that there are zero, zero beds available. Every bed in, in Alabama is taken by COVID patients. Arkansas has a huge influx of COVID. Texas has it. The governor just received news that he tested positive. And in Florida, cases are out of control. In fact, school boards are rebelling against both Texas and Florida's governors who have said that they make it illegal to wear a mask or to have a mask mandate, which I'm not that one I'm not really in favor of because I don't I don't I think the government overreach to say that you have to wear a mask is wrong and I think it's wrong for the government to have the power to say you can't have a mask mandate I I, I think or you can't wear a mask I I just think that's too authoritarian if the government then has the power to say you can't have a mask mandate then they have the power to say you can have a mask mandate and I don't agree with that so you can't have it both ways you can't say the government has the power to ban masks, but the government doesn't have the power to um, force masks. It either has the power or doesn't. And so I'm not really a big in favor of that. And I think it takes it away from the local governments and parents. You know, if parents want the kids to wear a mask, then that's their God-given responsibility, you know, to take care of their kids and do what they think is right. And if the parents want their kids to wear a mask, then no one else should be able to say, you can't wear one. Um, just like I don't think the government should be allowed to force you to get a vaccine. Um, but anyway, these schools are defying them and saying, you know, in one school in, I think it's Broward County, Florida, every, almost every kid has, is sick. And so they're debating whether or not to defy Governor DeSantis and just go ahead and issue a mask mandate because they had to shut down the school because every kid's, you know, like 90% of the kids are sick with COVID. I mean, I don't know. So anyway, it just seems like this is just never ending. And I'm getting a little discouraged by it because it, 
it just seems like it won't go away. And every time we think we've, we've crossed that, you know, we've crossed that bridge, suddenly it's like, nope, there's, there's something else coming up. And I don't know. I just don't know how long Whitmer is going to be able to hold out because there are cases rising in Michigan yet again. But she has promised, of course, you know, a politician's word is not worth a whole lot, but she gave her word that we wouldn't be doing any more lockdowns or mask mandates. So it puts her in a precarious situation because if we end up having huge outbreaks in Michigan and she doesn't have any mask mandates, the Democrats are not going to be happy with her as she goes into re-election because they're going to say that she's responsible for these deaths. She's, you know, she has to do something and she's not doing it. She's just as culpable as the Republican governors who are, you know, who they think are, are ridiculous. But if she does impose mask mandates or lockdowns again, number one, our economy will probably collapse. And number two, she's going to be, a liar because she promised that we weren't going to do any more of that. The, the, the danger is over. We're opening up Michigan. We're, you know, we've crossed that, that barrier. We're, we're done. And then she's gonna have to explain why she made that proclamation so early when it was obvious that the pandemic was not over. The threat was not over. So she's really going to be in a tight spot if this continues, but I'm just, it's just, it's like a plot of a TV show that just has gotten really old and you're ready to cancel the show because everyone's sick of watching. And that's how I feel about the pandemic. It's just, the plot has gotten extremely old. It just seems to be reoccurring plot lines over and over again. We're like Groundhog's Day. We're reliving February of 2020 over and over again. Talking about COVID and mask mandates and shutting down schools and lockdowns and <clears throat> and we're having prominent people like governors and senators coming down with covid again and you know it just it just seems like we just can't get past february 2020 it's like we're in a time loop and i'm just tired of it i mean i i i don't know what to say i'm just tired of hearing about it i'm tired of talking about it i'm tired of worrying about it and when I say worrying, I'm not worried really about the virus itself. I'm not scared of it. I'm just saying worrying about what's going to happen as far as shutdowns or, you know, mask mandates and, you know, you know, worried about going out and getting a job and then the job shuts down because of COVID or, you know, like, do I, you know, do I want to look for a new job and find something and then have it all get shut down? You know, should I focus on, other, you know, going back to school? But then what if schools get shut down again? You know, it just, there's all these things that I'm worried about. Not, I'm not scared. I'm not frightened. I'm going to get the virus or anything like that. I'm just, just seems like there's a lot of issues that I'm worried about as far as jobs, the economy, uh, mandates, vaccine mandates. I just, I'm worried about government overreach at some point where the government says enough, where they get sick of it just like I am, and they say enough, we're going to start forcing vaccines on people. We're going to start 
you know, I'm already hearing that they think that we might need a third or a fourth vaccine shot, you know, not just, uh, well, I mean, if there's some vaccines, you only get the one, but, um, you know, I'm hearing more that vaccine that were available aren't enough now. We're going to need more of them. You know, I'm hearing rumors or just chatter about people saying the government needs to require this, you know, in order to get everything under control. We need to go back to the social distancing, back to mask mandates, back to forced vaccinations. We are not back to, but we need to have forced vaccinations. We need to get this thing under control. And then I keep hearing about how the virus is mutating. So even if we go ahead and get more vaccines and masks and all that, it's really not guaranteed that it's all going to be over because the, the virus could morph again into something new. And so then you'll have to get another shot for that. You know, like it seems like it's a never ending thing that every time you get one thing under control, the virus allegedly mutates. And it's like, I don't understand. I don't understand it. I don't. And it just bothers me. So anyway, rant over. I want to get past that. So we have a few other things to talk about. But I just wanted to get that off my chest. <laughs> it's just it's just very frustrating for me that for over a year we've been hearing about this and it just seems like nothing has changed. We're back at the same, making the same arguments, and it it doesn't appear, it doesn't appear that Biden has any more control over this virus than Trump did. You know, with all the talk that they talked, you know, with that Trump wasn't doing enough, the virus is out of control, he's not doing anything to stop it, he's just standing by and letting it happen. I don't see Biden doing anything differently, you know, and they promised that the vaccine would be the cure-all. And it feels it feels to me like this is pre-vaccine. Like we're back, like I said, in February of 2020. This hopelessness that there's nothing we can do about it and the president doesn't seem to be paying any attention to it. It just seems like even though the press isn't blaming Biden the way they blame Trump, but it just seems as if things are just as out of control as they were under Trump. You know, you just don't hear the media with their hair on fire claiming that Biden is responsible for all the deaths. But other than that, it doesn't feel like Biden has any more control over the situation than Trump did. So it just it just seems like this thing is out of control and there's nothing we can do about it. We just have, and it's not just, you just have to live with it. It's There's nothing we can do about it, except we need more government control and power. And and we're seeing it on both sides. Like I said, I mean, on the Democratic side, we're seeing calls for vaccinations, forced vaccinations and masks and lockdowns. And on the Republican side, they're saying no masks, no vaccinations. We're, we're making it illegal to wear masks in public and illegal to wear masks at schools. We're making it illegal. To do, and it's like, I don't think either one of them, I don't think either of those authoritarian positions are doing anything to help. It's just, you know, personally, and, and, and I may be totally off on this, but personally, I think it's just something that we have to live with 
you know, just like at a certain point when I, when I was a kid, or it's just like a certain point we came to accept AIDS. Uh, a lot of you probably don't remember this because you're not as old as I am, but when I was about fourth or fifth grade, so I was about nine or 10 years old, the AIDS epidemic hit really hard. And of course, at that time, earlier in that, AIDS was considered something to be that only homosexuals got through sexual contact. So it wasn't a big concern for most Americans because it was just a disease that those people had. I use in quotations. But then people started getting sick who weren't homosexuals through blood transfusions and stuff, but we didn't know that at the time. We didn't know why suddenly straight people started getting sick. And in fact, there was one kid who was about my age. Um, not, I didn't know him, but his name was Ryan White. You may have heard of him. He lived in Kokomo, Indiana, and he got AIDS. And it ended up that he got AIDS because he had a blood disorder and he got a blood transfusion that from a person who had AIDS. Um, and it gave him AIDS. But we didn't know at the time how he got it. All of a sudden, a little boy got AIDS. And no one knew any, you know, he wasn't sexually active, either homosexually or heterosexually. He was a little boy. And suddenly he had AIDS. And there was a panic. I remember my school calling us into an assembly. And they had all kinds of restrictions, you know, um, at first, you know, about uh, drinking from water fountains and, you know, and, <clears throat> you know, wiping off things, you know, if you're sweating, wipe off your chairs and all that, because we didn't know how it was spreading. If it was spread through sweat, saliva, you know, blood, you know, um, there were a lot of things. There was a lot of panic. And, um, you know, when we were young, boys used to always do the blood brothers thing, like with your best friend, you would take a knife. <laughs> Sounds kind of weird now, but you'd take a knife and you'd cut your thumb usually and your best friend would cut his thumb and you'd put your thumbs together so that my blood would go in him and his blood would go in me and we'd become blood brothers even though we weren't biological blood brothers but our blood was in each other's systems so that made us brothers by blood and i remember that became a huge issue that we were told that was one of the big things that you're no longer allowed to do that you can't you can't share each other's blood because we don't know how this is being transmitted. And it was very scary. Like there was a lot of panic. And then at a certain point, as we found out more about it, we just came to live with it. I mean, AIDS still exists. Now, of course, now we have certain things that can help, but, but for a long time, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 years or more, um, we had no way of treating AIDS. It was just something if you got, you knew you were going to die. We came to just accept it, that AIDS exists, and you got, if you were promiscuous and were sexually active, you got tested for AIDS at least every once every 10 years because it had like a 10-year dormitory, dormitory period. So once you became sexually active, whether homosexuality or heterosexuality, when you went to the doctor, you were encouraged to have an AIDS test. And, um, but we came to live with it. 
It just became part of our lives. AIDS exists out there. We didn't panic about it any longer. And we realized that you can't transcribe it by sweat. You know, you know, you can drink out of the same water fountain without worrying about getting AIDS. You can be on the swing, same swing set. You can, um, you know, stuff like that. So my feeling is that that's what we're going to have to do at some point. Just accept that COVID-19 is out there and everyone just live your lives and practice good hygiene, washing your hands, uh, you know, not getting up into people's faces and spitting and, and talking real close to them, you know, not coughing in people's faces or sneezing. You know, I think we just have to live with it at a certain point. Um, but that's, that's my, I could be totally wrong. I mean, maybe, maybe a few months from now, people will find out more about it and they'll be like, that's just stupid. Jim's suggestion was just idiotic, you know, to think that we can just live with it. I don't know. But it just seems to me because I, I, I don't see how this thing ends. I don't see how it ends because I don't think the virus is ever going to go away. I don't think it's going to die. You know, I, I just don't see it happening. Once that virus is out there, I, you know, I imagine at some point we will get a hold of it just like the Black Plague and, and you know, stuff like that and the flu and other things which used to kill a lot of people. Eventually, we were able to um, get enough vaccines or, or medicine that it's not a huge problem now. People get the flu all the time and they don't die. Whereas 100 years ago, influenza was the cause of death for a lot of people. A person could get the flu and they would die. And it was pretty common. Whereas now, I mean, almost everybody I know has had the flu at some point in their life, many times in most cases. I've had the flu many times. And I've never been at risk of dying and I've never been in fear for dying when they say you have the flu. Or if one of my friends gets the flu, I don't immediately, my heart doesn't stop being like, oh my God, he's got the flu. Is he going to live? <clears throat> so I imagine that'll happen at some point. But until then, it just seems like something that we just have to let go and stop worrying about, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, the other big news out of this week is uh, Afghanistan withdrawal. An absolute disaster. Now, I've been a long proponent that we need to leave Afghanistan, so I'm not criticizing the leaving. But I don't understand why... It was such a disaster to pull out, um, especially since we knew we were going to be doing this. Trump had already said we were going to be leaving Afghanistan. He put the thing in motion. I'm not blaming Trump for this. Uh, Biden is the president, so I'm not. I'm not blaming Donald Trump, but I'm. I'm just making the point that Donald Trump started the process, and when Biden took over, he decided to continue it. So the reason I bring that up is that this isn't like that. Biden in the last month decided to pull the troops out, and we didn't have a good plan. My point is, Biden knew from the day he took office that he was going to continue Trump's Afghanistan withdrawal. So what I don't understand is why he didn't start the process and plan out how we're going to do this instead of waiting until almost the end of August to then start the process, which became a disaster. You know, he had all of these months that we could have slowly 
started pulling people out. And that's the other thing I don't understand is why did we start pulling the soldiers out before we got all the interpreters out, before we got all of our people out of the embassies, before we got all the Americans evacuated, we started pulling troops out. It, you know, now all these people are trapped there. And at the last minute, now that the Taliban has taken over the country again, we're trying to get our people out. And it's in an absolute disaster because we can't get them all out in time. Some of them are going to be killed as they try to leave. Now that the Taliban has taken over, they've taken over the airports and everything. So why didn't we do that when we still had control of the country? Get these people out of there. And why weren't we slowly doing it? Like you could do a little bit every month. And so by now, there's only a skeleton crew and we could have gotten them out and then the soldiers could start leaving. I don't understand why we kept them there all the way since January when we knew we were going to be pulling them out and then waited until the last minute until we hit the deadline of when we said we were going to be out of there and then started pulling them all out, pulling all of our troops out and leaving everybody else. I, to me, that just that doesn't make any sense. I can't even wrap my head around that. It it doesn't make any sense politically. It doesn't make any sense militarily. It doesn't, you know, I, I can't see any reason why you would pull the troops out and leave all the Americans who work in Afghanistan there and leave all the interpreters and leave all the people, the Af Afghan people who have helped the United States, leave them there and then have to send troops back in to rescue those people and get them out of there. Why didn't they just leave the troops there until everyone was evacuated and then start pulling the troops out? I just don't understand that. That makes no sense to me. And I don't, well, I kind of understand. I started to say, I don't understand why Biden on July 8th told everybody that this would not be another Vietnam situation that the Taliban was not going to take over and that we wouldn't end up having to rescue Americans out of Kabul. Why did he say that? Now, I, I understand uh, from a lot of reading, and that's one thing that I really encourage you to do is not watch much news. I mean, not that there's, not that newspapers never lie or, or could, you know, uh, shade the truth, but <clears throat> but they're less likely to than uh, TV shows because especially magazines and things and newspapers can always print extra pages. Magazines can always put out a special edition. They're not confined to we've only got two pages to give this whole story. TV does. They've either got a half hour or an hour to you know, so they can't go into depth on a topic because they've got a limited amount of time and they have commercial breaks. So they have to, they've only got an hour and they have to fit in a certain amount of commercial breaks. So they can't always go into in-depth discussions. Plus it's a visual medium. So they're more, they're more trying to show you the images than they are explaining things because this isn't radio. You know, so you're not you're not tuning in to listen. You're tuning in to see what's going on. So I've been reading up on it a little bit. And from what I understand, 
this doesn't excuse Joe Biden, but it helps explain why he said on July 8th that we're not going to see this because uh, um, apparently our intelligence agencies, which by the way, someone needs to be fired for this, certainly. There needs to be heads rolled for this because they've been wrong consistently about weapons of mass destruction, about the Russian collusion with, with Trump. The intelligence communities have been wrong consistently. But according to them and what they've told Biden and the administration is that once we pulled out, it would create a civil war because the Afghan military would fight the Taliban and it would probably be at least two years of fighting before we knew what happened. We didn't know if the Taliban would win or if the Afghan military would win or Afghani military. I don't know. I don't know how to word that. I don't know what the phrase is. But it would be at least two years because it would basically be a civil war like in Iraq, where the government, or, or I should say in Syria, where the government is fighting, uh, like in Syria, the government is fighting um, rebel forces. Um, the Houthi, I think, is what they are called. And the Afghanistan government would be fighting the Taliban. So they expected that it would be a good two years, at least, of a war, that the United States could pull out and we wouldn't have to be involved in that and that people would decide their own fate. <clears throat> Obviously, they were wrong and they should be punished. But so this is why Biden thought that there wouldn't be this situation because there would be a prolonged civil war. What the military intelligence did not foresee is that the cowardly president of Afghanistan would flee the country and the military would then give up. They wouldn't, the Afghanistan military would not fight the Taliban. They just accepted the Taliban takeover and said, okay, we're now working for you. Um, so I understand why Biden didn't think it was that serious and probably why he didn't pull all the embassy people out because they probably figured we'd have time to do that slowly as the Afghanistan military is fighting the militants, the Taliban. But the point is, he was wrong. And everything he said wasn't going to happen did happen. The Taliban took over very quickly and, and are very brutal. And we are forced fleeing the country and honestly, just like in Saigon, we're going to leave a lot of people to be slaughtered, unfortunately, because we can't get everybody out of there. There are too many people and we have so little time now that the airports have been taken over and the government's been taken over. We're going to, unless we want to go back in and have another war, we're going to have to cut our losses. And that's a horrible thing, but they're going to have to say, sorry, but we're not going to come rescue you. You guys are going to have to rescue yourselves or accept your fate. You're going to be killed. Just like in Saigon, how many, many people from South Vietnam were murdered after the North Vietnamese took over. And that's probably what we're going to end up having to say is we got out everybody we could. We're not going back for you at this point.
you know, um, <clears throat> and that's just, it's a horrible situation. Uh, I, but Biden made an absolute disaster of this. And as we get more information, yeah, I could, I could probably come up with a better scenario of what could have happened. But, I, you know, I, I have trouble figuring out who to blame here because Biden is the president and the president, the buck stops with him, as, as Harry Truman used to say. He has to take responsibility. It's his government. By all rights, he should resign because of this debacle. Um, but at the same time, as with George W. Bush and uh, as with Barack Obama at the end of his term, the intelligence community was wrong. The intelligence community assured George W. Bush that there were weapons of mass destruction. And he believed them. Barack Obama believed the intelligence community when they said that there were Russians colluding with the election, uh, colluding with Trump to steal the election. So Obama started surveillance. He did, you know, he did things that weren't right that we look at now. But at the time, he thought was the best interest of the country. He was told that that the Russians were attempting to steal the election and they were working with the Trump administration. So he started surveillance on the Trump people. He, he did things that are grossly unconstitutional and wrong. But he did it because the intelligence community told him, this is what was going on. You have to do something. And this is the same thing that Biden had. The intelligence community told him, this is not going to happen. It's not going to be another Saigon. It's going to be at least two years. You'll either be out of office or you'll have a second term by the time this whole thing collapses. He trusted that. He went out and told the American people, you have nothing to worry about. So yeah, all three of those men are to blame because they were the president and they're in charge. But at the same time, if you trust your intelligence people, would I have done anything differently if I thought I was getting good intelligence? You know, um, you know, I might have done the same thing and then be stuck in that same position if I was president. What needs to happen is what John Kennedy did after the Bay of Pigs fiasco. I mean, that was horrible. The Bay of Pigs fiasco was absolutely horrible. And I don't really have time to go into the whole details about it, but it was just, you know, look it up for yourselves. But trust me, it was an absolute debacle. And the intelligence community was behind that mistake. John Kennedy fired everyone. He fired everybody. The head of the CIA, he fired the, the head of the, the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He fired um, generals. He fired, I mean, he went down the list. You know, and he said, this isn't going to happen again. You know, I trusted you. You're supposed to be trustworthy. You're supposed to be getting intelligence, not playing politics or whatever they were doing, whatever they were doing. They couldn't do their job. And therefore, the United States people died as a result of the intelligence's failures. And John Kennedy had to take the heat for it. He had to come out and take all the questions and all the anger and, you know, angry Republicans and everyone who, you know, um, 
accused him of being weak because he didn't provide uh, the air support. And he didn't he didn't do enough to help the soldiers because he followed the intelligence, what they told him. And it turned out to be wrong. And, uh, you know, he had to take the heat. And so he fired him. That's what Joe Biden needs to do. He needs to fire everybody. Fire them all. They gave him false intelligence. What the heck is the point of having an intelligence community if you can't trust them for intelligence? Why do we even have that then? Why don't we just have the president fly by, blind and just go by the gut of his instincts? You know, go by his guts and, and by his instincts then. You know, the reason we have an intelligence community is so that they can give the president the best up-to-the-minute intelligence so he can make the best decisions regarding our national security up to the minute. These people didn't know what was going on. They had no idea. And it seems like the intelligence community or the so-called intelligence community has had no idea for decades now of what they're doing. And I begin to wonder if they've ever known what they were doing. I mean, we even go back to John Kennedy in the Bay of Pigs. We go back to Lyndon Johnson in Vietnam. I mean, just over and over and over again. You know, they have been wrong consistently on issues. And yet very few times has anyone gotten fired. John Kennedy fired a number of people. I can't say that no other president has fired anybody, but not the way that John Kennedy did. He had mass firings. Um, a lot of these presidents don't fire anybody. Um, and if they do, it might just be like one. They might replace the CIA director, and they usually don't fire them. They usually just ask for the resignation, you know, and they quietly step down. Um, <clears throat> Biden needs to fire these people. Seriously, just fire them and say, look, I got their bad intelligence. It's on me. I'm the president. And I took care of the situation. These people will not be giving that intelligence anymore. They're fired. Um, you know, that's the least that should happen. And it, and it would help Biden. It would make him look decisive. It would make him look like a leader. And it would take some of the heat off of him because he could, you know, because the people will be forgiving and say, yeah, he got some bad intelligence and he took care of the situation. He realized it was bad and he and he acted like a leader. He fired them and, and he's not going to make that same mistake twice. But as it is, how are we going to be able to trust the intelligence community? You know, for... Bush and Obama, we had two consecutive presidents where they gave us bad information. I'm not even going to talk about the surveillance when the CIA claimed that Americans were not being uh, spied on, that it was they were just spying on the enemies. And then we found out that they were spying on Americans, reading our emails, reading, you know, hacking into our computers. And I'm not, I'm not even going into that. That enough should have had these people in front of a firing squad. But we've had continuously bad intelligence. And <clears throat> even with Trump, the intelligence community fought him at every turn. Um, and, you know, so it's just been consistently bad. I don't know, honestly, why anybody continues to trust the intelligence community. And I don't know what I would do if I was president because – in theory, they sound like a great idea. I mean, certainly you want to have good intelligence. And if I'm making a decision, I'd like to know what I'm getting into.
you know, I want to know about world leaders. I want to know, you know, who's planning what and what what threats are out there against the United States and what Al Qaeda is doing and what the Taliban is doing or what ISIS is doing and what is Putin doing in Russia and what's what's Kim Jong Un doing in North Korea. I want to know those things because I need to be prepared. But at the same time, I would be weary. Do I even know I'm getting the right intelligence if they tell me that, you know, Russia's hacking into the State Department? How do I know they're telling the truth and then us not trying to get us into a war with Russia? You know, how do I know? Because they've lied about Russian and Russians hacking before and into our elections. You know, how do I know if they're even telling the truth or if they have a political or mil I should say a military agenda, wanting a war with somebody, wanting to you know, wanting to manipulate the president into only giving them the intelligence that they want him to have so that it'll limit his response. You know, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm really torn on that one because I honestly don't trust the, the intelligence communities anymore. But I don't know what you'd replace it with. I mean, because the president in this day and age, it didn't need, we didn't need this in 1880, but in this day and age, the president needs to have some ears on the ground, people who are able to um, infiltrate groups and be able to find out what's going on in other countries and where the threats are. And, you know, are there is there chatter about a terror attack and, you know, headed for the United States? If I was president, I want to know that I don't want to get caught off guard and have another 9-11 and be like, well, I didn't know anything about it. And we don't know. I, you know, we're just going about our business and I don't know what's going on in the world. Um. But there would be a part of me that would always be hesitant if I'm getting updates from the intelligence community. Like, what aren't they telling me? It's not just what they're telling me. What aren't they telling me? They might not be telling me a larger part of the story because they, you know, they want me to bomb. You know, they want they want a good war. They want me to bomb Iran. You know. Um, so anyway, um, let me see how much time we have here. Oh, goodness, I've gone a little bit over. So anyway, I'll, you know, like, comment, reply, uh, whatever. Um, hope everyone has a great week and we'll see you here again, hopefully with better news than what's going on in Afghanistan. So talk to you all soon. Bye, everyone.